to be back here with you today. And uh, I was all prepared to t let you know that I had just gotten up down in the center of Delaware and driven up from a campground. However, we went back home last night because of the rain. <laughs> and so I'm here to say I was recently camping, but uh, no, I had a good night's sleep last night, which was not what I was expecting. So it is wonderful to be with you all here. Um, our scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 2. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, so I invite you to follow along with me as I read from God's holy word. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. I will, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus told his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, or what you'll wear. For this life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about rest? the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes this grass of the field, which are here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your hearts on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For, this, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, no moths destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look to your word, we pray that you would... Um, Help us to love, help us to listen, help us to hear that which you want to do. As we look at this passage, speak to us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen. It is interesting, though, when I was going camping, I don't go often. As a matter of fact, I only started going at the beginning of COVID. Uh, I was coerced into it between the COVID situation and not being able to do much of anything else as well as I read a memoir of a gentleman by the name of Eugene Peterson. It's very odd when a lot of people tell you, oh, you should go camping, the kids love it. Oh, and then I can easily turn them down. I can quote the great theologian and great philosopher Jim Gaffigan, who said, 
you know my parents didn't take me camping? And do you know why? Because they loved me. <laughs> and if you go back and you research what Jim Gaffigan has to say about camping, just know that is everything I have ever thought about camping, just in a much funnier version. It is amazing, though. We go camping, and we have all this time. But I read a memoir about, uh, by Eugene Peterson where he talked about taking his kids and family into Montana, where he grew up, and getting out of the rat race of the East Coast world and just go camping for the month of August every year. And it was at that time that I realized I need to go camping. Just because Eugene Peterson said it, I was willing to do it. I turned down everybody time and time again before. But here's one thing that I come to realize. It's such a bizarre world about how we buy all this equipment to replicate all the equipment we already have. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I went into REI twice last week. Once with my wife where we got a few things and once to get that pair of shoes when she was not there. She later realized, where did you get the new Chacos from? I don't know. And I did realize when I walked through REI, this is where I want to retire. I love gadgets. I love toys. I love outdoors, hiking. And, and, and I actually like the idea of it better, to be honest. But another thing about camping, it lets us know that we don't need all that much, do we? Somebody saw a picture of the campfire and said, ah, the evenings around the campfire are the best. Why? Because you're there. Why? Because you're usually in a place like we were that had no cell reception. Why? Because you had to be there with those whom you weren't necessarily choosing to spend your evening with. Your children. Or your parents. Or your, or your friend's children. Or the people at the other campsite who brought their toddler. Can't leave them at home, apparently who brought their dogs. It was an amazing time. And here we have, Jesus spoke about money a lot. And I think it's kind of funny that I come down once a month over the summer as a guest preacher, and I tackle some of the more, yeah, let's talk about money, why not? Someone in the crowd yelled out to Jesus, hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And that is more than what we deal with with inheritances. When it comes time for my mother to pass and my sister and I are divvying things up, it's already been laid out how it's going to be done. And those banks will write whatever checks, the, 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 the furniture will be divided as so, and everything else will just be, you know, we'll deal with it. But in this day, this era, this idea about the inheritance was definitely tied into their sense of, of legacy, their sense of property, their sense of everything. And it was, it was a real big deal. And so often, if there was a dispute in such matters, they might turn to the local rabbi, to the local teacher, to discern what should be done. So a guy calls out, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He's upset. He's feeling like things aren't being done right. Jesus kind of balks and pushes back, and I'm, I'm not in charge. But he doesn't miss the opportunity, you see. He's missing the he didn't miss the opportunity to start to, to push and pull on this old adage. Because the gentleman was right. If his older brother was not dividing things, he had a right to ask for the division to be done in a proper manner. He had the right to defend for his, his family's legacy. And Jesus kind of stepped back, and he's starting to clue them into the idea that there is a world 
that is not tied to this world so tightly anymore. There is a promise from God that is not tied to the property that you own anymore. So he started to say, watch out. Be on guard. That should be a warning to us there, that when Jesus says watch out, we should probably, you know, watch out. Right, that's a good point, Olga. We're on the same page. But it's not just watch out. Here's the thing. It's so much easier to watch out when we're watching against. But Jesus is saying, watch out. Look in your own heart, in your own life. And I will tell you, those are my more terrifying moments. Because now I'm going to come across a truth, a teaching, an idea that I may not be ready to watch out for. And so I'm going to throw this out there, that you may not be ready to watch out today. But Jesus said, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. What, there's more than one kind? Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Right there's the moral of the story. Your life, my life, does not consist of the abundance of our possessions. And we all know that to be true. We all know that you don't have a U-Haul to the, to the funeral home. We all know that he who dies with the most toys does not win. We all know the old story of Rosebud and from Citizen Kane, that there's the simplest things are often the sweetest things, and that having all the great abundance in the world, and we can sit here in the beautiful bare walls of a church sanctuary, and we can amen that, and then we go right out into the world of commerce and shopping and the Joneses. Nobody here, I'm sure, keeps up with the Joneses, but where I live, people try to do that. They try to keep up with the next layer. By the way, several of my friends at work, I mentioned that I was going camping last week. And they said, tent camping? And I said, why wouldn't I want to lie on the ground in 80% humidity? If you'd like to see the spider that was on our tent as we were unpacking it, not on top, like on top of the, the fly that keeps you dry, but in that in-between layer, I can show you the spider later. I am not kidding when I say it was this big around. So they said tent camping? <laughs> yeah. They've all graduated into some form of like camper that they need the right size truck to haul. And I figure this is the same parallel between kayakers and canoers and boaters. You see, once you go with an engine, you don't go back to the paddle. Kind of like the chill children who ride their bikes all over the neighborhood until they get what? A license. And then they never touch their bike again. It's like the families that go camping in minimalism. Go camping to get away from everything. Go camping to have a little bit of, of nature and just peace and quiet. And then you roll in with a big Winnebago. Because once you Winnebago, you don't go back. Is that the same way with our normal lives? Is it that we get so conditioned to what the good life is, we consider opulence average? Is it that we consider comparison, giving our comparison for ourselves, uh, depending on who we're around. 
well, I'm not greedy. I'm matching all the rest of the people around. I'm, I'm in the middle. I'm not high. I'm not low. I'm, 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 right in the, I'm right in the mean. I'm right in the average. Well, if we look globally speaking, not even going historically speaking, how many of you chose what to wear today amongst a little bit of options? You can raise your hand. If you had options with what to wear today, and if you're not, that means you don't do the laundry. I know who it is. <laughs> but how many of you had options to put on shoes today? Running water inside the house. We're not even going to go further. You get the idea. If we have running water, if we have options for some clothes, we are already more wealthy than a large percentage of living humans today. If you're going to have options for what to eat later, if you're going to be deciding whether or not to go out and get a bite to eat. See, it's easy for us to take the, the luxuries of this American life and create them into such normal human norms. My friend, he moved over from uh, uh, Egypt in the 60s when he was nine. And he moved to Southern California, and he went into a Southern California grocery store, and he thought, there, this is a joke. There's no way a produce section looks, exists like this. He couldn't comprehend that all these fruits and vegetables from all over the world could exist right there for him to touch and to taste and maybe even buy and take home. But when's the last time we marveled at a produce section? When's the last time you marveled at a tomato in February? How many of you don't even know why that's a marvel? <laughs> Jesus said, be on your guard. Watch out against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He then tells the parable of the gentleman who stores up and builds bigger barns. Man, I have such big crops this year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build bigger barns. If he's already wealthy and he's already got barns, do you think that he's doing all the farming himself? So he's probably a farmer who has workers. And instead of sitting there thinking through uh, uh, a way to share, He's clearly just storing it up for himself, and that's what Jesus is calling out, how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. But I think it's interesting here, though, that we could easily just rail on greed, and we can rail against wanting more than you have, and we can really get into the nitty-gritty there. But some things that Jesus didn't do. He didn't set a hard standard, did he? There's no rule for what it means to actually be greedy, is it? Can anyone here define what it means to be greedy? Or is it more of a, one of those situations where you recognize it when it's happening? Can we be greedy and not actually have a surplus? Can we be greedy and materialistic and not actually have much in a material way? The answer to that is yes. Can your cup floweth over? Can your garage be full? Can your silos be overflowing and you not be greedy? Yes. So yet again, Jesus is taking the real-life, lived-out world and taking it to the issue of the heart. But I want to challenge you with this. Jim Wallace is the one set, quoted for saying that faith is personal but never private. What are the things that we, know we never want to talk about in public? Money, politics, and religion. 
I really like about talking about two of the three. Money makes me nervous. But here we have this idea that faith is personal but never private. And one of the things that's happened in our world is that our understanding of evangelical Christian faith has become so individualized that we can become detached from discipleship that invades our values and our expenditures and our checkbook. As long as we're tithing, as long as we give charity occasionally here and there. But I'm not sure that's what Jesus is asking us to do is the, is the minimum. I'm not sure what Jesus is asking us to do is to, is to discern, well, how much do I have to give until I'm doing right, right? That's kind of like with parents trying to say, like, well, we're trying to instill values in you kids. Well, yeah, but exactly what time do I have to be home? Yeah, but what I'd like for you to have a sense of understanding of when it's good to come home. Yeah, okay, great. But is that good before or after 10? And, and now if we start treating Jesus that same way. Okay, Jesus, I, yeah, I get it. Don't be greedy. Totally not. Uh, I know greedy people. Seen them. They're all over the TV. Not them. Whew, check that box. We're doing great. And he wants to come back and says, nope, store up and be generous to all. Okay, when you say give, like what are we talking here? What percentage is okay? So this is where we go back to Deuteronomy. Um, this is where Deuteronomy 8 starts, starts to remind the people about who they were and where they came from. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. When you've eaten and been satisfied, if you're looking for a benchmark, that's maybe a reasonable one to start with. When you're eaten and satisfied, Praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe this and observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm telling you. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, thirsty waters of land, and with, it, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you out with water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers never had known. And he humbled, humbled and tested you so that in the end it might go well with you. It's reminding us, the scripture here back in Deuteronomy 8 is reminding us to remember whose we are and where he's taken us through. Some of us are doing quite well today, financially. And some of us came from not very good means. And we have that memory of scraping by. We have that memory of paycheck to paycheck. And that's okay to not want to go back to that, isn't it? It's certainly a good thing to try to bring the world out of poverty where it's paycheck to paycheck and meal to meal and starving to starving. And it's kind of interesting when we're talking about greeting, greed and he ties it right into the next story of worry. Is there a connection between greed and worry? I kind of think that there might be. I kind of think that there might be this, this connection between our, our root motivations and what causes us to become a bit of a, a, a collector of our stuff, a, a hoarder of our things. Somebody might want to be greedy because they want the... Uh, to appear great in the eyes of the world. They want to appear successful. They want to flaunt their excesses to, to show the world on how hard they've worked, but they've forgotten the 
shoulders of giants that they stood on, they've forgotten that the opportunity that they had came with other workers and other talents and other, and if their business ended up doing, selling all the widgets they could, they forgot the roads that delivered their widgets. We forget that success is always a communal event. Sometimes we're motivated by perfection. Sometimes we want to achieve the, the best thing, but then we start recognizing that we, um, if you're pursuing perfection, you're delving into the world of control. Jesus, in the next parable, is talking about how little control we actually have. Do not worry about your life or what you'll eat or about your body. What does he mean by about our body? Do not worry about your, do not worry about your health. It's not often you're going to get an example positive of, of uh, Frederick Nietzsche, but I'm going to throw one out here. In his book, Thus, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, he has this gentleman coming to the crowds, the masses, and he's warning them. He's warning them to leave and to flee the mediocre man. There's people coming in and polluting their ideas with the mediocre man. And the, the, and the crowds were like, ooh, tell us about this mediocre man. And he's warning them. He's saying the mediocre man just indulges in cares and becomes obsessed with their little pleasures of the day and their little pleasures of the night and an overwhelming regard for their health. And, and Zarathustra is trying to warn them away from an average mediocre life where you just care about your entertainment and your fantasies, but are highly concerned about, about your health. And I can't think of a better description of the United States than that. That we care about our simplicities, our entertainments, and our fantasies, but boy, do we want to make sure we get the best health care we can at all times thinking that we're going to make these bodies live for what? I'm not quite 50 yet, but my knees tell a different story. I'm not quite 50, but my back has already told me that apparently you're not allowed to lead a sedentary life, eat too much, and then have everything go well for the next half. Do not worry about your life, Jesus said, though. Do not worry about what you'll eat, what you'll wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, consider the flowers, consider everything about nature. So here's the good news, friends. Don't be afraid. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. It's so easy for us to leave here and get off track. And then we come back and we center again. It's so easy to go back and delve into a world of greed. Maybe we grew up with scarcity and we're nervous. Maybe we have anxiety about not having enough so that we, I remember my grandmother was a, a child of the depression and her pantry was so full at all times. But she grew up in a time of scarcity and she had anxieties about that. She didn't have to, but she did. For some people, they, they wanna have security and so they store up all that they can. They gotta make sure that their 401k has enough so they will never ever have a need. My grandfather told me, he said, I'm saving up enough that I will never be a burden on anyone. And it sounded really noble, but it was really very arrogant. Because that's not life, is it? And that's not the Jesus life. But what's Jesus' solution? To give, to be generous, and to seek first his kingdom. 
Seek first the kingdom of Jesus that's been turned upside down. Seek first the kingdom that's not worried as much about your legacy of what property you inherited. Because that property is no longer as meaningful. Seek first the legacy of someone who gave up his life so that we may have life. Seek first the legacy of someone who loved the enemies and sent forth and blew open the gates of his kingdom to, to welcome in every enemy he ever had. Seek first the kingdom of one who says, for other, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Friends, we have the ability to be gathered together and to create these little clusters of priests of the believers. Only one time in the Old Testament is Israel ever called a priest. It's Exodus 19, right? Because they're getting their Ten Commandments and doing some things at Sinai. And God calls them a priestly nation. And now, and you go back to 1 Peter, where God calls us a priesthood of all the believers. Whenever I wear this collar out in public, it's weird. Some people get weirded out by the wedding ring and the collar. Most don't notice that. When I had my church up in Central Jersey, I would stop and get communion. We did communion every week, and I'd stop and get the communion bread, and people, Padre, and they'd like, let me go ahead. I'm like, oh, it's kind of, like, I should wear this when I'm trying to park. <laughs> Why? Forget the years and years of Catholic guilt that they had, or Protestant guilt. But for some reason, they just see, oh, you're, you're different. It's amazing how they try to clean up their tongue once they find out I'm around. Because I've never heard it before. Or because they actually care. I don't. But for some reason, they see this and they recognize, oh, he's peculiar. He's different. He's religious. I don't want us to go around wearing collars, but I'd love for people to think, I don't understand the way they live. Why, why, don't, why don't they store up their money in silos like we do? Why don't they value the newest things like we do? Why don't they value the collection of stuff? Why don't they identify their own value with the abundance of their possessions like we do? The problem is it's a lot easier for us to just join in with the, with the Joneses and compete. It's easier for us to just move into this segmented neighborhoods where we don't have to see poverty. It's easy for us to just vote in a way that just builds the coffers but doesn't distribute it. But Jesus has called us to be different. Jesus has called us to be priests. Jesus has called us to be of a different and peculiar way and a peculiar life. I'm going to close this morning by reading the Apostle Paul's take on this as he was teaching young Timothy how to lead people at a church. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but instead put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them, the rich, to, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love that phrase at the end. <coughs> to take hold of life that is truly life. That is our hope. That is our desire. That is the, the trajectory of following Jesus. And this morning, we're going to come to this table again.
We're going to come to this table needing refreshment, needing to be filled, needing to be satisfied. We have a world that continues to bombard us outside. They're saying, you are not enough. Your stuff is old and outdated. You need to represent yourself better. And we need to say, silence. We need to say quiet to those voices. We need to say no, and we need to change that which is within us through the act of obedient generosity. It's not enough to say I'm not going to be greedy. The antidote to greed is giving. The antidote to worry is service. The antidote to all these things that steal away the true life following Jesus in the way that he lived and gave so that we may take on the life that is truly life. And I think it's right here at our fingertips. I think it's available. Will you join me in that today? Father, we pray that we would indeed be people who can hear clearly that we may watch out, that we may be on guard, that we may reject the idea that our possessions make the person. God, we, re we ask that you would strengthen us and help us to reject the idea that we are in control of our lives. We reject the idea, Lord, and confess that we recognize we are not the makers of all our success, but we are participants in what you've given us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to find ways, places, and people to be generous to, that we will find ways to say no to our own self and desires and shopping instincts, but instead might look for the betterment of those around us. And, Lord, we just pray, help us. Help us to take hold of the life, the true life that you give us in Christ Jesus. We pray. Amen.